Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by 3M, PPG, and Breakthrough Academy. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the live Q&A with Brad Ellison. We are taking a deep dive, answering any questions you have into his four-episode series, The Birth of a Giant, where Brad walked through his decision to walk away from his previous partnership uh, to start his own company and the rapid growth that he has incurred in the very minimal time that he's been operating his company and how he uh, essentially is teaching you to do something similar. Brad, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Happy to be back. Looking forward to this. Absolutely, brother. Let's start. Let's kick this thing off with, I guess, a quick recap of the series. Okay. Um, so what do you want me to do? Talk, talk to you about the first episode. So in this first episode is I just kind of ran through, um, gave you a history on, I had been running someone else's company for a bunch of years. Uh, I didn't have a background in painting, but I had a great, pretty extensive background in sales and management. Uh, ultimately, we had the goal of buying that company. And uh, when push came to shove for a bunch of reasons, some inside, within my control and many out of my control, we decided to walk away and um, launched Ellison Painting in April of this past year. So we actually, so technically we are over one year old now from when we filed our letters of corporation. But uh, we sold, sold my first job April 22nd, started production on that. May 17th. Almost coming up on that one year anniversary of the first sale. That's right. And um, yeah, so we talked about kind of the, the, the thought process that Rachel and I went through when we were deciding whether we were actually going to move forward with the purchase or leave. Um, what we thought was going to be our strengths in launching a new company and what were some weaknesses. Um, yeah, that was a really fun episode. I got a lot of feedback from that one. I'm sure you did too. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough decision. And I know when we were at Nick Slavic's Ask a Painter Live Winter Retreat, that was something you were you were really struggling with. You had a, mm. a pretty you had a pretty cushy situation. You liked it. You were good at it. Mm. And starting a business is kind of not that fun sometimes. The thought of it was not appealing to me. Like starting <laughs> starting over from scratch. Right? You, were, you couldn't spend the whole day at CrossFit every day, man. You had to well, like start working for a living. Turns out you uh, kind of still can all day. You still can spend all day at CrossFit. 
Um, as you know, we'll, we'll talk offline about this. You can help come in and. Yeah, well, as you as you know, I've uh, I, I committed this year to work do one workout every single day for the entire year, and yesterday was day one hundred and two. So even through in the first year of launching my company, I've managed to get to the gym every single day. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. we are going to to figure out how you do that. So that was episode one. Breaking up is hard to do. Um, profitable, good partnership. You had a good relationship. Uh, ultimately, you decided to leave and, and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Episode two. What was that? What was the title of episode two? Remind me. Rocket Man. What okay. it looked like to launch a highly professionalized painting company from scratch. Got it. So that was we talked about the strategy. What was our what was our goal to launch quickly? What were our plans and how how are we gonna or what were our goals and what were our plans to get there? Um, yeah, that was a fun episode because it was really. It was, we were really recounting that we, uh, we put our feet to the fire and we put our money where our mouth is and we really just jumped in, right? We launched as if we were a huge company, even though we were brand stinking new. Um, yeah, that was fun. It was, it, I had a, well, I almost said I had a, a unique, unique opportunity to launch quickly the way I did just because of the tools and resources I had available. But I think as we've discovered and the more conversations I've had with other people, everyone has access to those same resources, right? Everyone has access to marketing agencies. Everyone has access to uh, drip jobs. Everyone has access to industry wisdom, knowledge, people. All of that is available if you know where to look. And there's people like me and you that are willing to tell people where to look to find all that info. But then it's up to them to actually follow through and do it. Yeah, I would, I I guess I would describe that as an abundance mindset, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think, I think many people in this industry obviously don't have that mindset. It's kind of one of the problems of the painting industry, but it's also one of the opportunities mm-hmm. of the painting industry. Because if you go in, you're competing against med spas and you're willing to throw some money behind marketing and bet on yourself, I can tell you so are a lot of other people that you're competing against right. in painting. If you're willing to bet on yourself and invest into your, your online presence and do all this stuff, oh my gosh, you're an anomaly. Well, that makes things a lot easier for you. For sure. And I say that to my customers all the time. You know, we... I hear that they've had painters out and they're, they never received the estimate or the guy said he was going to be there at one o'clock and showed up three at three 30 and, and didn't apologize. And I tell him like, listen, you know, I'm not a painter by trade, but one of the reasons why I love owning a painting company is that the bar is set so low by my competition that all I have to do is show up and run my business like a real business. And I perceived as a superstar. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Respect your business. It is a business. And I think that that can be an issue. You know, you were kind of an outsider, Brad, you actually had a, a background in, in sales and marketing prior. You know, I know you ran your own marketing agency for a while there prior to even going into painting. So for you, you're coming into it from a totally different mindset. And that's something Jason Phillips has talked a lot about, you know, the, the painting is really the widget. What you own is the painting company and what you are is you're, you're selling and marketing and running a professional business. The painting's the widget. Right. That we, you know, I, I used to say, yeah, you know what, we we are a sales mark sales and marketing company that happens to sell painting services, but I really think I believe in the way that we set it up and the way we're operating is we're actually a project management company, so we we focus heavily on sales and marketing, but we are actually providing a service. The service that we provide directly is not yep. painting, right? We provide project management, um, but we're doing that at such a high level. Yeah, you're selling the experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And anyone can you're selling selling that ease. Um, someone said bought the book. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know uh who it is because they didn't they didn't do the uh 
They didn't do the stream or instruction. Bought the book. It's actually, what do you mean? Actually. Actually, actually full of good stuff. Reading it. Actually. Full of good, actually. What did, did you think I was going to sell you something that was garbage? What is this? Dude, you're so oh. cynical. I'm, I'm glad that they are actually enjoying it. I wish I knew who, who mm. it was. I hope that I know them. I hope that they don't dislike me now because I said that I am just messing with you. Um, okay. So that's episode two. Episode three, change the world from scratch. How can so you that build was... systems and processes that change the paradigm of your local market and create a roadmap for future success? Right. So the simple answer to that is uh, copy what other people are doing well already. <laughs> Just do that, right? Uh, none of the systems that I created were uh, revolutionary or groundbreaking or novel to the industry. Uh, I just took what I had worked at my previous company, um, what worked even better at other companies around the country and, um, and implemented those. Now, what's funny is even now we're about a year in the systems and strategies that we launched with a year ago were really designed to be managed by me and one other person. At that time, it was me and my wife, Rachel. Uh, but now we have, a, we have a much bigger team. And so we're changing a lot of our systems and strategies and adapting and, and taking what was working and just making it um, a little more functional for a bigger team, which is allowing us to specialize, which as you know, is ultimately going to be way more profitable for us. Yeah. I think it's so important that even though you might've built those systems for the team members you had at the time, you've always had this this vision of mine that you're building a company and it's not mm -hmm. going to be at, you know, a hundred thousand, 500,000, not going to be at a million. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know. We, we can get into your ultimate goals, but I know you've mentioned numbers in the 10 plus million. So you're mm -hmm. building with that kind of end in mind of setting the infrastructure, set yourself up for success. Don't kind of start making a bunch of sales and be like, Oh, right. Oh God. I think the systems systems should be built in such a way that they're going to get you to your next goal. Uh, but they will likely change over time. So it doesn't have to be. I think it's unrealistic to to build systems that uh, a ten million dollar company uh, can be run under from the get go. No, you build a system that's you, you build systems and strategies to support growth to one million, and then you say, okay, now what? Now what are the changes we need to make for the new new system? Yep. Yeah, you won't have a like an entire middle management yep. layer, yep. for example. And I, I think from zero to one, you know, is going to change. At one million, you're going to change. One to three. Mm -hmm. You're going to change three to 10. You're going to change and, and 10 and above. You're, you're going to very much change. What right. got you here will not get you there kind of thing. Uh, Jesse. Yeah. Always, always feel free to ask questions. So that's really what this is about. It's the, the live Q and a, you know, Brad and I are going to talk about, about the series, um, go into things. Brad will elaborate, but if you have questions, that's really what this is. So Jesse asks if you have been growing as a business and have been doing all of your marketing project management and financial analytics, but are starting to grow at an overwhelming rate. Nice job, Jesse. What's mm -hmm. the first member of your team that you would hire and why? So we talked about this on the, uh, on the podcast. I would say there's two roles within a company that need to be filled. And until you're up to about a million dollars worth of or million dollar per year run rate, the owner should be doing both. And that's the sales role and the project management role. Now you might hire marketing agencies and you might have software tools to help you do some of the tasks within those roles. But those are the two roles that need to be there. So what we talked about on the podcast, if you remember, Brandon, was you pick which one that you're best at and you want to do more and then you hire out the other one. So for me, project management is not a strength of mine. The organization piece is not mine. I'm great at customer service. I can certainly, you know, console a, an upset customer better than anyone. But as far as scheduling jobs, getting them getting them kicked off, 
doing all the billing, invoicing, material tracking. That's all things. Those are all things that I'm absolutely terrible at and have no desire uh, to learn to be better. Uh, what I'm really good at is sales. So for me, it was focus on sales. Second role, uh, it would be project manager. Might be different for any other individual. And you're saying that from zero to one million, even if you don't like the project management role, you should be doing both those things. To a million dollar run rate. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so what we did is I, 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 when we launched, I already planned on being at a million dollar run rate plus right from the get go, which is why I started day one with me as sales and then a second person as a project manager. But people that are, are slowly growing, maybe they're at 300,000, they're at 500,000. Uh, unless you have plans and a marketing budget that are going to help you to get to that million dollar run rate, run rate right now, you probably can't afford to bring on a project manager or a salesperson. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. You don't want to sink yourself. The number one reason uh, small businesses go out of business is cash flow constraints. Mm -hmm. uh, you also want to look into obviously how you're charging for your projects. You know, people try to sometimes uh, create a competitive differentiation for themselves by not accepting any money down. Well, as you're growing and you're small, that might be a bad move. Maybe that's something you can do kind of down the future. Yeah, though I say the the taking money down, uh, we're we're a cash flow positive business. Every job should be cash flow positive, right? Even the very first one you do, and the length of time from the time you sell a job to when it's completed shouldn't really be that long, especially when you're starting. So if you start a company like I did from actual scratch, I sold a job and then you start it the next week, right? Yeah. So do I need that deposit? Probably not because within two weeks, I know that the job's done. I'm getting paid. Yeah, those jobs are pretty yeah. short. It's not a yeah. huge commercial project, which yeah. no one really But there is, you know, for some companies, there is a big advantage to taking deposits um, and having that cash flow available. Um, yep. we, do, we just do a $500 deposit. Just And the reason why I do $500 is just to have some skin in the game for them. Because what I found at my last company was we were oftentimes the, the most expensive. And people would say yes to us but there was no deposit. And so they'd start shopping around and we would lose a lot of jobs because they were kept looking. Why wouldn't they? They yeah. said we could paint their house, but they didn't have any, it wasn't like they were, they could lose that $500 if they changed their mind. Yep. Yeah. Once people commit to that, then they're, they're pretty locked in. Mm -hmm. um, won't get the buyer's remorse or, or whatever right. that would technically be defined as. By the way, when, when Brad's saying um, run rate, he means 83,000 a month. So that's a million dollar run rate. So if you're making $83,000 a month, then that's that's the rate that he's talking about. And he's able to get there fast because he was already investing into his site, investing into to how he was going to get those initial leads before he actually launched. Obviously, most of you listening probably already have your painting company, but the concept is similar about investing kind of before, you know, marketing investment. That That's a leading indicator of success. You put the money in and you get the money kind of a little bit down the line. Mm -hmm. Pay faster obviously depends on your strategy. That's right. Um, okay. So that was episode three change the world. Hi, Kalen. Uh, good to see you again. Episode four, you, don't, don't stop me now. What does it look like to not only grow a business, but scale a business? Is there such a thing as too soon? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to find out, Brandon, because we are right there. <laughs> we, out. we, you know, does we all burned down or not. We launched quickly. <laughs> we got, so we ended up, we ended up closing the end of the year. Um, the goal was to do a million dollars worth of revenue in our first 12 months. Well, we, Sold our first job April 22nd. We started it, producing it on May 17th. Uh, just did my taxes for 2022. And for that year, we produced 
$1,013,000 worth of jobs. Yeah, that's awesome. So we did over a million in that first, whatever, seven, eight, eight, eight months, months or whatever. Yeah. So we beat it. We beat our goal. Uh, if you talk to a bunch of people that are smarter than me, they will tell you that the it's, it's very difficult to go from zero to 1 million in the painting business, but probably even more difficult to go from 1 million to say 3 million. Uh, because you have to start adding a lot of overhead in the form of salespeople and project managers and admin and probably office space and vehicles and increased marketing spend and whatever. Well, that's our goal for this year is to try to do $3 million worth of revenue, not sales necessarily, just like actual revenue. Um, and in order to do that, I, I had to put my money where my mouth is. And so we hired salespeople and project managers and admins. So now I'm still running. Um, I'm, I do about half the estimates. I have a second salesperson that now is out in the field and closing deals and doing a really, really great job. Uh, we had my full-time project manager, Ron, who replaced my wife back in October. So he's been with me about six months now. And he's like my right-hand man. He is the, uh, the yin to my yang. Uh, he's more risk averse. He is, um, probably more serious than I am, which is maybe a nice balance. And so uh, he's been really instrumental in helping us to build systems in order to grow. Uh, but he's got a capacity too. Uh, kind of industry benchmark would be one and a half million dollars in sales per salesperson, one and a half million dollars per projects being managed by each project manager. So we have a new a second project manager starting on Monday. Also hired an admin. We call her a project coordinator because she's a lot more than an admin. She's handling scheduling of all the estimates. She's now handling uh, initial scheduling of the projects themselves. She has uh, experience and skills in graphic design. So she's like our graphic designer now too. She's doing like a ton of things. But we all that to say we added a lot of overhead that I can't justify right now. Right. I have we have about four hundred thousand dollars worth of exterior jobs sold and we just started painting outside this week. So we have we have about a month that's should be about four weeks worth of work uh, to keep all the crews busy that we've um, we've onboarded. Um, but outside of that, like I I don't have the I don't have enough leads coming in really to to need two sales guys. Uh, I don't have enough projects really to need two project managers. But I know that if we want a, even a prayer at hitting 3 million, I have to have those in place. So we spent, and this is the first time, apart from that that initial 20,000 that we dipped when we first launched, this is the first time that the company financially is going backwards. Coming out of interior season, um, we're, we're, we're spending a lot in marketing. We've, we probably dipped about $60,000 in the past three weeks. So wow. it's an investment. Um, I understand that. I've had to have a couple pep talks with people that I, I know and love. I was on the phone with Jason Paris yesterday. Like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, I need you to tell me whether this is like really good, the decisions that I'm making are really good and wise, or uh, that I'm being an idiot and I just need to keep, I just need to go backwards. And he's yeah. like, no. He's like, if you really want to grow, you basically have to do these things and you are the primary investor. You just need to be monitoring your sales and your production and say, okay, is this investment worth it? You're the investor. And if the investment's not worth it, then you might have to change your strategy. And that might mean scaling back the people you have on board. Um, or you just keep pushing harder and sell. What else you got to do to sell more jobs? So yeah, we're moving forward in faith, my man. 
I love Jason's per- perspective. He's always looking at it like uh, almost like a private equity investor or something, mm-hmm. you know, very business oriented. Uh, I know you got mad at me yesterday, Brad. So I'm just going to publicly just bring it out. You know, I said, Jason Phillips is my favorite podcast guest. I did say that. You did say that. Yeah, I did say it in episode six. I love all my podcast guests. I love you, Brad. You've mm-hmm. been, been on many, <laughs> been on many things, buddy. But uh, yeah, I, I was very into the moment. I did say that, but uh, you know, I love everybody. So, so just own it. Jason Phillips, if you're going to have a favorite is it, podcast Jason Phillips guest, is, incredible. Is, there, is, there, is he a bad guy to have it be your favorite? He's a phenomenal human being. He did a seven episode <laughs> series. So we were supposed to do a six. Oh, dang. And dude. then, uh, yeah, we were supposed to do a six. And then I, uh, well, he kept dropping stuff about his sales process. We'd be mm-hmm. talking about something totally unrelated and he would say something like it was no big deal. And I was like, well, Jason, you did it to yourself again, because now we're going to go down like this 15 minute rabbit hole that you don't want to go on. And mm-hmm. I can see he kind of almost visibly gets nervous sometimes because now I'm taking him in a totally different direction. I'm like, dude, stop saying interesting stuff if you don't want mm. that to happen. So we did episode seven was all about, hey, what's your sales process? Love that. Because I want to know it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I um, want to know it. I can ask what I want to know. And then other people get the benefit. I see a comment here. And again, I can't see who said it, but he said, when we were talking about my business going backwards, they said, I see mine going backwards for the first time in five years as well. It's hard and playing with my mind and emotions. Um, whoever that is, um, are you... Or like geographically, where are you located? Are you located in northern state, southern state? Is is seasonality an issue for you? Answer that question, and then um, we'll talk about it. Yeah, I wanna I wanna bring up one other thing too, Brad, because I know you um you were very open in your in your uh, series, you know, about people contacting you uh, about mm-hmm. wanting to to share, and then you got kind of flooded because uh, your mm-hmm. series was a very popular one. Lots of a lot of people listened to it. Um, and you, you kind of came back to me and let me, <laughs> you're on a lot of phone calls now. What were some of the the common questions, the common conversations that you were having from, with people? People have a lot of questions about how to find and onboard subcontractors. You know, how do you, how do you find them? And of course I've shared that. I use the, the Facebook group. Um, I use my Sherwin Williams rep, which has been, I mean, that's, those leads are always really good because they're the pre-screened, right? My, my Sherwin rep's not going to refer a crew over to me that he thinks is not going to be reliable or high quality. Um, but really once the, once the ball starts rolling, painters, no painters. And what we've been focusing on this year is we, we came out of last year with, uh, let's see, seven or eight solid consistent crews that we were using, uh, of those eight, um, Four of them are just absolute superstars. Like, man, I wish I could clone these guys. Well, that's what we're doing this year. We're cloning them. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we said, hey, Robert and Bazzo, you guys are the best. We love you. You will, We will feed you unlimited amount of jobs. If you want to bring on two or three more painters, and now you either have a team of six or two teams of three, you will be prioritized 100%. And so now those guys are like, all right, well, we love working with Ellis and painting. We're making all this money. It's really easy. Um, you know, the, the work's not easy, but it's easy. The relationship's easy. Uh, now Robert and bots are bringing on more guys. So that's, that's now we're really just, we're dealing with Robert and bots. who we already knew we're not trying, we're not having to try out new subcontractors, but now through them, we've doubled their workforce. And if we can do that with three or four crews, you know, bingo, bingo. Uh, but we also did a huge recruiting push. I think we interviewed like 15 or 20 new crews. And uh, we have, we're, we're entering the spring with 20 uh, compliant and active subcontractor crews slash crew leaders. 
um, that equates to like 50, 50 something painters that we could have working for us on any given day. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the main question was subcontract, how to find subcontractors. People asked about my sales process, which is actually changing. We're now doing in-home presentations. Wah, wah, wah. Was it all uh, virtual before? No, we would, we would go and we'd meet the customer and everything, but then we would just email the estimate, the proposal by the end of the day. But now we're actually meeting with the customer, going back to our vehicle, piecing everything together, going back in the house and presenting it to them. Well, that's what my favorite guy does. Jason, Who's that? That. Jason, Jason yeah. All the best guys do. That's why I knew. I'm like, listen, I'm having great success doing it the way I do it because it's me and I can do it. But if I need to train new salespeople, if I want to not be the guy selling all the time, then I need, I need to have an actual sales process. So we're doing that. And um, my new sales guy hasn't started doing in-home presentations because I'm still double checking all his numbers before he sends the estimate over. Um, but he's, he's closing already like one out of three without doing an in-home presentation, which is very promising, um, which means he's building rapport and he's, you know, he's providing value without doing that. Uh, my in-home presentation. So we just started doing them this week and really I've only done three and I'm three for three. All three said yes, right there on the spot. Yeah. Um, okay. So whoever this was said Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Hold on, Brad. Is that, I believe that's Justin with Allegiant painting, but I'm going to look for a confirmation on that. Okay, cool. Justin. Great. Uh, so Justin, if that's you, um, I think, so I can't compare what I did last year compared to what the market looks like this year, because I didn't have a last year at Ellison painting. Um, what I hear from a lot of people is that a lot of people are having a harder time selling that the average job size now is smaller. Maybe people are taking longer to make decisions. Um, coming out of the winter, obviously we always slow down and then if you're in Chicago, you know, it's going to pick up if you focus on exterior jobs. Uh, I think that we need to, um, oh, it's Brian Maddie. Oh. I, don't, I don't know if I, if I know Brian. I think I know okay. Brian either. Hi, Brian. Oh, regardless, uh, those of us that want to grow our business, even through what could be a challenging season or summer or year, we need to really hone in our messaging, our marketing, our sales process. If we can do that, we will be able to uh, outcompete and out hustle the people that aren't going to make the changes and adapt. So it's things can go backwards for a period of time, but I would say you need to have a plan. If how long can it go backwards before it now becomes an issue for you? And what are your plans? If 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 you don't think it's just a seasonal or cyclical thing, what are your plans to to reverse it so that you're moving forward again? When so, Brad, when you're growing and you, you know, you hit the million and, and then you invest more heavily with the goal of the 3 million, and then you're probably going to do something similar again with the goal of like the five or the 10 million. Mm. What, are, what is your thought on liquidity in terms of how much money you should have in the bank or, or what kind of run rate you should give yourself? So we, I haven't, I haven't settled on a number. Um, through Q1, we stayed static. We didn't, we didn't profit at all. We didn't lose at all. I paid myself a small, my small salary and there was no profit in the business. But through that, we kept, I think we had about $150,000 in our, in our business checking account, right? Well, now we're actually losing money. So it's, it's dropping down. Uh, one of the, one of the um, topics of conversation with Jason Paris yesterday was uh, business line of credit. And he said, you should apply for a business line of credit when you don't need it. So if you ever need yeah. it, you already have it. Because once you need it, no bank obviously is going to give you 
open up that line of credit for you. And he also said, hey, even if you have the money to, to use in your, in your business checking account, could you be using that money somewhere else that's going to be getting you a better return than the 6% or so that you're going to pay um, in interest on that business line of credit? The answer to that is probably, yeah, if that frees up my cash to spend more in marketing or you know, hire another really top line sales guy, then yeah, I'm going to get more than 6% back. So I, I just scheduled an appointment with my, uh, my banker at Chase to open up that line of credit. I don't know yet whether I'm going to use it or not. Um, but it, it'll be nice knowing that if, if I need to, I can, or I can just keep my, my, my cash liquid and use the line of credit basically to function. Yeah. Having access to that working capital is very important. You never really know hundred percent what's going to happen. What if you get sued or something, right? You just, you never know. Um, mm -hmm. So Heidi, Heidi, what, what kind of question is this, Heidi? I know you're a go-getter. You're doing mm -hmm. everything. Uh, so Heidi and I have been in touch. She said, how do you get away with not being a morning person? But I know Heidi is, is very much getting after it. I met Heidi. Heidi came over to my house for the <laughs> gathering, of, gathering of Michigan painters. We got to meet in person. Um, I would say, how do I get away with not being a morning person? Why do you need to be a morning person? Your customers don't want you at the house at 6 a.m. And I, and I don't want to get up and go to the gym at 6 a.m. My alarm goes off every day at 7. And I get up. And the first thing I do, uh, well, I put on my glasses so I can see. And then I go make my daughter's lunch. And I help her to brush her teeth and get ready for school. And then I get myself ready. And then I'm out the door. And you know I'm out the door by uh, 7.45 every day. Uh, that's efficient. It is. Well, why, like an hour and a half. For I don't want to you gotta waste time. So. Yell at the kids. I, I think my, <laughs> my daughter kids. probably thinks the only, the only word I know in the morning is let's, you know, hustle. hustle. Come on, hustle. Yeah, hustle. Very efficient hustle. Kids. Uh, but the real answer is, you know, you, I make the most of the time that I'm working and then I make the most of the time that I'm not working. And I don't think you need to be a morning person to be productive uh, from, from eight 30. I basically work from eight 30 to, 2.30 every day. And then I'm at the gym every day by, for the 3.30 class. And then I'm home by five and family time. That's you know, maybe, maybe, the kid, maybe after the kids go to sleep, if I have some follow-up emails or estimates to send out, I'll do that. But um, So Chris, Chris uh, has asked, I, I like these last two questions a lot. Guys, if you have yeah. questions, put them in there. Um, is it harder to have a consistent brand while using subs? Is it harder? Yeah. Uh, is it hard? I would say not if you're doing it right. Um, so the way we operate is my, me and my project managers and, um, sales guys, we all have our branded vehicles. This is Ellison painting. Every one of our jobs has Ellison painting signs out front. We have Ellison painting shirts that are subcontractors. We ask very nicely for them to wear. <laughs> Can't make them of course, but, um, most of them will play ball. Uh, but more importantly, the contact that our customers are having is primarily with an Ellison painting employee. That's the project manager. The project manager is my face when the, once the job is sold. So um, can you maintain a consistent brand? I'd say, yeah, uh, all of our marketing is very consistent. All of our job sites are very consistent. Um, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think you would, you would see a difference between the brand if I was using employees versus subcontractors. I can't imagine what that difference would look like. When Apart you have from pretty... employees sometimes work more slowly. My subs hustle. They want to make money. You know, they know they're getting paid, you know, $8,000 for this project, whether it takes them 
three days or eight days. And so they're incentivized to, to get it done quickly, efficiently, and at a, a high quality level so they don't have to go back. Um, so I would say the big, maybe the big difference is that we are consistently faster uh, and more efficient than a company that uses employees. And you have a pretty deliberate interview process with your subs. You want to kind of quickly run through that? Because obviously starting with a good crew is pretty mm -hmm. integral to this whole thing. So what's the question? Essentially, I know you, you've walked through kind of your process, right? You talked about finding subcontractor crews, but I know mm -hmm. you have certain criteria. You, you have a certain method to the way that you hire them, vet them. You know, you typically start mm -hmm. them on a certain kind of project prior to moving to another kind of project. I think that all plays into this, into yeah. them actually, you know, for me, that, that question is, hey, how do you make sure they don't screw up your brand like by being bad? Yeah. So I think to just to go back to Chris's question real quick, I don't think it's hard to maintain a consistent brand. I think it's way more difficult to maintain a consistent culture if you're using subcontractors, right? Employees are coming to your shop. They are managed by your foreman. They are and your crew leaders. They are, uh, it's, it's all your company all the time. Um, the culture can be tough, but that's why when you're, when I'm interviewing these subcontractors, that's what I'm trying to identify. Do I think that they're a good culture fit for how we operate? Are they a good person? Do, did they show up on time for our interview? Um, did they seem like they're telling the truth or just, you know, kind of sticking their feathers out and, and bragging, uh, to make themselves look bigger or better. If, if someone's a, if someone's a good person and I think that the culture fits, meaning, they seem to have high integrity. They do want to operate professionally. Um, they, they believe in fairness. Uh, they believe in merit-based opportunities. Then I don't know that there's any real effective way to vet them further than that because you can't really tell the quality of their work until they actually start out one of your jobs. And so it's important when they when we assign the first job that we are, we're paying a little bit more, a um, little bit closer attention to what they're doing on the job site as it's kicking off. Um, but the one of the things you mentioned, Brandon, is yes, we do We do look at the, the first job that we're going to give them. We're looking for long-term relationships with our subcontractors. And until they start working with us, they don't know that I'm any different than any other contractor they've ever worked for, right? Everyone tell them, yes, we're going to pay you on time. We are going to pay you well. Our jobs are great. This is going to be easy. Everyone tells them the exact same thing. And it turns out every contractor is a liar, right? And they've all been burned before. They all have not been paid before. They were all promised something and then not given that. Well, until they actually start working with us, they don't know that I'm any different. So the first job has to be a good one. It can't be some nightmare customer. It can't be a job where there might be a you know a bunch of things that make it less profitable or take too long. We got to give them a real home run and make sure they see how we operate because they're going to be experiencing two things in that during that first job. One is how well we pay on these jobs, but two, how we how we operate, how we communicate with them, and the, the efficiency there. Well, we can obviously control fully how we operate and how we communicate. Um, but if we, if we give them a bad job, we give them a, a, a customer that we should have identified right from the get-go was going to be a, a headache. Uh, that's a loss. Cause now, even though we weren't lying to them, you know, we, we didn't really do anything. It seems like the job was a failure and it wasn't their fault. And it wasn't, it was, it was our fault for not, not prepping it right. So 
Yeah, it's important. You you just try to find subcontractors that are decent people that will communicate well, that will follow through on what they say they're going to do. And then you just got to give them a shot and make sure you're looking over their shoulder for the first few jobs a little more closely. But then once we what we found is that once a, once a crew has done a few jobs with us, and they see how we operate and they see how profitable it is. Now they've been incentivized to continue to do really high quality, solid work for us. They want us to be happy because if we're not, we're not going to keep giving them work and they want more work. It's basically almost like a probationary period or something for, for us, an employee. For us too, though. It's yeah. pr- we, we need to be on our best behavior in the first few jobs because if we do something that that rubs them the wrong way or makes them think that we are just like every other company, then we've lost that long-term potential to work with them. Guys, we're, we're just past the halfway mark of the, of the live Q&A. I want to do something I haven't done before because I, I want to get a gauge. And I never ask people when we're doing these Q&As, like who actually listened. Um, so if you could put in listened or didn't listen, that I would just be curious about that. And then if obviously a lot of people, we, we put up these recordings uh, in the Facebook group. We, we do a push out to our network. So a lot of people will listen to this as a recording. Uh, if you can put up live or recording, uh, it would just be great to get a metric on on kind of how people are listening and how they're coming into this. Uh, there was another really interesting question, um, which is just funny. It's funny because my wife and I have actually had similar discussions regarding painter marketing pros. Um, what is the rush to grow that fast? Wouldn't maintaining a profit throughout your scaling make more sense? Um, yo, why you got to come at me like that? <laughs> why are you so like aggressive, man? So first thought we've maintained profit, uh, 2022, even though I left my last company and started a new one was, um, personally for me and Rachel, our best financial year ever. So it was, we are profitable. Um, we weren't profitable through Q1, though most companies around here that operate like we do, even my last company, we never had any profit in Q1. And actually talking to Jason Paris yesterday, he said Paris Painting has never profited in Q1. And oftentimes they lose like a million dollars in Q1. And then it's not until middle of the summer that they're actually profitable. So um, yes, maintaining a profit profit is important. And that's certainly one of our core focuses. Uh, our, our, um, our goals this year are $3 million at 15% net profit. And that when we go through our uh, EOS process and just revamped our VTO and did our quarterly meeting, that is the goal is to maintain a profit. So the rush to grow so fast. This is interesting that you asked this because Rachel and I just had a conversation this week about it. Um, and we kind of already touched on it now. Ron and I could have maintained Ellison Painting at $1.5 million this year. And it would have been relatively easy. I just go sell all the jobs and he manages all the jobs. And maybe we have an admin to help a few in a few areas. And we could have just stayed at $1.5 million, um, maybe grown a little bit, just the two of us. There's simplicity in that for sure. But the the jump from one, in order to jump, to go from one and a half million to three million, I think is going to be way easier than going from one and a half to two to two and a half to three. In or- once I'm at once I'm over one and a half million, I have to a project manager can't handle it. And maybe a sales guy can't can't sell all that themselves. So I already have to hire someone else. Well, now I've added five hundred thousand dollars in revenue, but I've also taken on one other full role that's going to be costly. So rather than scaling slowly like that, 
let's just swing for the fences. Let's go from one and a half to three million. I think it's actually it. I know from the outside it probably feels rushed, but it's a strategic decision. Um, because we did a million last year, but our run rate was really one and a half, right? So we're doubling, we're doubling our operation. Um, trip will hopefully triple our actual revenue calendar year, but um, double our our production or our our, um, our kind of pace. So is there a rush? I don't know. It seems based on everything that I've I've spoken about with industry experts, uh, one from zero to one, one and a half. One and a half to three, three to five. Those are the kind of the natural plateaus. Well, I'd rather just get to the three million right away and then figure out how to get to five million after that. So, Brad, I want to ask you a question that seems simple, but <clears throat> it's it's actually kind of a nerve wracking question for a lot of people uh, because they will oftentimes people have goals that are more ambitious than what they are willing to share because they they might think you know it kind of goes back to being a kid. From everyone's gonna laugh at me if I say what I want. Um, I've talked with painting company owners. They want to get north of hundred million, right? But publicly, mm -hmm. maybe they're talking about 10 million. So what is your goal? Are you willing to say what your goal is and, and why do you have that goal? Yeah. So our, um, so we're, we follow the EOS, the traction process, right? It's something that's been really helpful for us in, in, uh, in game planning and strategy and systems and structure and all that. Our, our three-year, um, I can't, I can never remember if it's three-year plan. Is it three-year plan? I don't know. Plan. Yep. Um, six million dollars in revenue for Ellison painting here in Metro Detroit. Um, 10 year vision is 20 million in revenue. Uh, and that's also the, the current plan is to have Ellison painting branches in other major metropolitan cities. So, um, you know, geographically, if we're, if we're looking there, it makes most sense to do. Uh, I've talked about Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati and maybe Chicago and Indianapolis and start kind of taking over the Midwest, Midwest region. Um, I don't know. During our quarterly meeting, we, we talked about the, the revenue number. The revenue number to me doesn't really matter. What matters is that me and the people that I'm working with are all having the time and money we need to um, be for our family. And that the painters that are continuing to work with us are also enjoying the fruits of working with Ellison Painting. So they're making not only a, you know a, a living wage, but they're making like a thriving wage and the type of money that's gonna, really going to change their family legacy as well. So you know that could mean we get to six million and that's it. And six million is a sweet spot for us, and we just we just keep doing that and just keep becoming better and better at what we're doing. Um, Maybe we say, you know what, six million feels good, but if we get to ten million, then think about the other opportunities that's going to provide for other people that aren't already working with us. Uh, hundred million? I don't know. Could we be a hundred million dollar company? Wouldn't that be fun? I don't know, <laughs> right? It would be something. It'd be something. Um, I don't know. I what I battle, you know, totally transparently is. Do I have the skill set to manage a six million dollar, ten million, hundred million dollar company? Um, I don't know. Maybe I think I'm a pretty, pretty bright and pretty capable guy. Uh, maybe there's probably people that are way better leaders than I am, um, way better uh, creator of leaders than I am. Um, and maybe I transition into a, a different role where, you know, I don't know, maybe I spend more time working on the PCA or just traveling around the country to our different locations and 
you know, just being like the, the pep up guy. And we have someone else as a CEO to, to really facilitate the growth. I don't know. You could be the he, meme guy. Could, 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 could be the meme guy. And like really focus <laughs> on the memes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? I mean, um, well, I really, really love what we're doing. I love the painting industry. I love my company. I love the people that are working with me. I want to find more people uh, like the people that are working with me and just keep growing. And I think I'll, we'll keep doing that until we decide we don't want to. And then either plateau or do something else. I don't know. So this one, I don't, I, I'm not sure I fully understand what the question is, but after painting for 17 years, I went off on my own in 2017. <clears throat> Has anyone had a five-year business dip year or a level out year? So I guess that's the question. 2017 to 20 uh, growth years and added painters each year by 2021. We hit 1 million in revenue and grabbed an office. Now in 2022, have three vans, seven painters, an office manager and myself, and we completed 900K. But now the fifth year, the myth year, is I guess a struggle year, but still going strong with jobs, but profit is a little down, but not as much as last year. Uh, it might've been cut off after that, but essentially this, yeah. this business dip year, the fifth year, the fifth uh, myth year. I, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard of that myth year. Have you heard of that? I have not. No. Right. Um, well, I would say it's still early. It's still early in the year, right? It's April. Um, we finished Q1, but that still means there's three more quarters left to rally. And, um, I think that there was, there was a lot of worry about the economy and I just don't, again, I don't have the data to compare directly to last year. You know, the number of estimates we were giving versus what we're given now or the average job size now compared to last year. But I can tell you that we're still doing estimates and people are still saying yes. I mean, I sold in March, I sold $175,000 worth of paint shops uh, in, in like a struggling economy during the winter. So I don't know, I don't know that I believe in that. It, it sounds like a, I know a lot of people hit hit um, roadblocks for themselves, where now they've been doing the same. He's okay. This person's been painting for seventeen years. Now they're five years into their own business. That's twenty two years, and I bet things are not always as exciting and uh, and um, motivating as they could be. So I, I would I would look inside there and see, well, is there something that you're doing differently, something you could be doing differently to to kind of reignite that spark? Um, but also it's early in the year. Re reevaluate your marketing, where where are your leads coming from, how much you're spending, what's working, what's not, shift some dollars around. If uh if you're not doing in-home presentations, maybe start doing that. Um if you're not presenting like super professionalized estimates using something like drip jobs or jobber or something like that. Uh, take this as an opportunity to make some of those strategic changes that'll help you close more deals and sell more jobs. Yeah. And I, I know I've spoken with some companies that are finding the markets changed a little bit for them. They're finding some of the, the um, deals that they would have closed. sounds like you're not struggling with that, Brad, but some of the ones they're finding are a little more price sensitive. So I think Brad's point's a really good one. You have to give people a reason to pay you more money and still close. Right? So you need to decommoditize your business. I think the in-home presentation, presenting value-oriented uh, sales process, a consultative sales process, don't show up, hey, we, you know, we paint good, we paint, we paint the best. We're not mm -hmm. gonna buy on that, right? When, when right. they start to value their dollars more highly, you better give them a reason. It's, it's about getting the right lead through the door and then giving them a reason to pay you more money. It's just, mm -hmm. it's those two things. Um, Heidi said, saying goals, I think this was about kind of what your end goal is and why. Saying goals out loud helps with accountability. I love that. If you don't want to say it out loud, you might be doubting you can do it. Be confident. If 
you fall short, refine and go again. Heidi's stories is amazing. And I think those, those mm-hmm. words are really true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I believe that we can do 3 million. Um, I don't know that we will. And that was Rachel's question to me during our conversation. Well, what happens if we don't do 3 million? Say, well, we're still going to be profitable. We still will have made money. It's not like it's not like now we're three hundred thousand uh, dollars in the hole. If we sell two and a half million instead of three million, we'll produce two and a half million at a fifteen percent uh, net profit. Um, Rachel and I won't, maybe won't make as much money, but the company's fine, and we're still highly profitable. Yeah. So with all the people that were calling you, I know that a lot of them were asking about subcontractor crews. And you had some pretty common themes. Did you identify any, I guess, mistakes or any sort of, um, I guess, like logical fallacies, like flaws in the way that they're thinking that might be industry wide, whereas you might be thinking a little bit differently? Because I know the su- success really starts with the mindset. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys, a lot of these people who I was talking to were um, younger men who were trying to launch the business. Maybe it was their dad's company and they've come on board, or maybe they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to start a company and do what, you know, I guess what I'm doing. Um, they're spending a lot of time listening to podcasts. They're spending a lot of time reading books and talking to guys like me. But they're not actually doing anything. And it's like they're they're so paralyzed because they don't feel like they know exactly what they should be doing or exactly how to do it that they're not doing anything. And so I actually spoke to this guy yesterday. Uh, and he told me that he's got his, his dad and his brother and one other guy are painting and he's not painting. Um, I said, okay, so you're, you're just doing like estimates and project management. Yes. Okay. Well, how many hours a week are you working? Like how many estimates are you doing? He said, I probably do like two or three estimates a week. And I probably work like, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours a day. I said, what are you doing with the rest of your time? He goes, well, I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to learn a lot. Like learning doesn't do anything for you. If there's no action, you're way better off doing something without knowing what you're doing rather than knowing what you're doing, but not actually doing it. Right. And so I'm like, bro, when we hang up on this call, he he had actually ordered a ton of door hangers, but didn't have anyone to deliver them. Said, when we get off this call, you need to grab a stack of those door hangers and go to a a neighborhood that you want to paint in and start knocking on doors saying, Hey, my name is Brad. I'm the owner of Ellison painting. Uh, We, we have painted a lot of houses in this area um, when was the last time you painted your house? I'd, I'd be happy to give you an estimate, um, whether right now, since I'm here already, or if you want to schedule a different time, um, is that something you'd be interested in? What else are you going to do with your time? You're, he, he didn't want to spend a bunch of money in marketing. Um, cause obviously the, they're not making a bunch of money. So he didn't have a bunch of money to spend. Like you got to do something with your time. And so that's, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is they are growth growth-minded, right? They they have goals and they have visions of what their company could be, but they're not taking any of the actual steps to get there. When I was when I went and filmed that reality show this past summer, <laughs> one of the things that uh, that Wes spoke on, which I bring up all the time, is this idea of an MVP, a minimum viable product. And that means once you have something to sell, you just start selling it and it can continue to, and it can and should continue to get better as you refine your process, as you refine your service and your product or whatever. 
But once you have something to sell that has any value, you go out and you start selling it and then make it better as you go. And yeah. a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs get paralyzed because they think that their product, their service, their brand, their company needs to be totally perfect before they show the world. And then they end up spending five or six months perfecting it. And then they start and they realize they don't know what the hell they're doing anyway. And it's this slow ramp up period anyway. Well, if you started six months ago, where would you be right now? Be six months ahead. You'd have six months worth of sales. You had a six months worth of mistakes that you learned from that you now you're, you're, you're that much further ahead. So I, I talk to a lot of people who and I don't I don't want to sound like jerk, but like they talk a big game. They say they want to do these things, but they're not actually doing anything. And that's one of the things that Rachel and I did effectively said, you know what, we're going to launch this company and here's our vision and here's our strategy. And then we just freaking did it. We just did it. Spent the money. I did the estimates. I found the subs. We produced the jobs. We collected the money. We reinvested. And here we are a year later. Yep. Got to yeah. do it. A lot of people struggle with paralysis by analysis. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I can tell you for, for me, you know, I knew I had content to put out. So I did a, um, I did a, a uh, webinar series with the PCA like two years ago or something. Did a live webinar series. Uh, one to three people would show up. I did series for a year. One to three people would show up, right? The content was good, but nobody showed up. So then, I, I mean, that's kind of embarrassing, right? Doing an hour-long webinar, nobody ever comes. But I did it every single month. Now, this this last year, Painter Marketing uh, Mastermind Pocket, I mean, I think we had hundreds of thousands of streams. Mm -hmm. But I just kept showing up. So the, well, the process by now is trying to perfect it, you know, work on it, work on it in the lab. Then yeah. when you go out, you're gonna get you're gonna get knocked in the teeth anyways. So and the just, best part about what you did is you got those reps in, and you made all those mistakes when no one was watching anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's brilliant. Right. Now you, you got all better. hundreds of thousands of people watching, and you've had two years now of really figuring out how to do it well. Yeah, and it, it, it's it kind of doing it in the laboratory and then rolling it out. It doesn't work. It's what everyone wants to do. It right. doesn't work. You should and be that's what I, yourself. Listen, but you need to do nothing. Nothing trumps action. That's the pep talk that I gave my sales guy yesterday. As I mentioned, he's already doing a great job. He's selling selling jobs. Um, but I said, hey, you have to start doing in-home presentations starting next week. And I want you to understand that you are going to make some glorious mistakes. You are really going to screw something up big. Okay? And that's okay. Like nothing, nothing that you screw up can't be fixed or addressed or adjusted. So I gave him the freedom to like just freaking swing for it. Yeah. Right? It's okay. I know that you're going to make a mistake. You think that maybe you won't, but you absolutely will. So just go do it. Let's get the mistakes out of the way and continue to get better. You have to have fun with it. You know, you have to, you have to be willing to laugh at yourself. Yeah. Things become a whole lot easier when you Did are. you know that um, one, of our, one of our five core values at Ellison Painting is levity? Have we talked about that before? I don't think so. Yeah. So levity is basically just not taking things too seriously, having fun. And we, you know, my, the team that I have between my, um, my sales guy, Ron, my project manager, um, uh, Veronica, my admin, we just, we laugh a lot. We make jokes at each other's expense and we just don't take things too seriously so that when we run into issues with the company, like, don't get me wrong. Obviously we take our business seriously. We take our job seriously, but not, we run a painting company. It's not an emergency room, right? There's no real real painters and painting emergency. So we can have fun. And I think we portray that with the customer when I'm out doing an estimate, you know, I'm, it's pretty lighthearted. I'm making jokes. The, the video that gets sent out about um, what to expect when you show up for an estimate 
it's pretty lighthearted. It got a couple jokes in there, just like, hey, this is our culture. We want to have fun. We're going to take your job seriously. We're going to do a great job, but we, we're going to have fun doing it as well. So it's a cool it's video. You, don't you have like a little subtitle being like, this is my friend? Like in parentheses. Yeah. Said, and I, I don't <laughs> normally hug my customers when I, when I show up for an estimate, but this is my best friend, Phil. He agreed to be in the video. <laughs> but you know what? If you want to hug when I get there, you let me know. I'll give you one. I love it, man. Yeah. Uh, I want to I wanna touch on one more um, big point before we kind of start wrapping up here. Because one of the things that you had talked about in the podcast series, which I think is really important, is the advantages and potentially disadvantages you had going into this. And I think obviously someone can't just fabricate all their advantages, but I think understanding it can help people be more strategic in their approach. Mm -hmm. So you want me to talk about my advantages and disadvantages? Yeah, just because I think it's a lot of people don't even fully recognize their own strengths and weaknesses. And that self-awareness is important with the company. So advantages, we talked about the, the money that Rachel and I had been saving that we had at our disposal. Uh, advantages were my you know nearly two decades of sales and management experience. Um, I had made myself kind of a public figure within the industry. So it, it allowed me to find uh, subcontractors. Um, ultimately, it allowed me to find people that wanted to work for me like on the sales side too, right? Um, they kind of, they listened to my podcast before they interviewed with me and like, oh, this is, seems like a guy that I want to work with or a, a company that I want to work with. Um, the disadvantages, I'm not a painter. I have to rely on other people to actually produce the the service that we are um, selling. Um, disadvantages was starting from scratch. I was worried that we wouldn't, it's because we had no real reputation, no reviews, that it'd be really hard to sell a bunch of jobs. Turns out that's a lie. <laughs> you, just, you can sell jobs without any reviews. The more you get, the more it helps, but you don't need them to start. Um, and you don't have not, to... Large bottom of the barrel prices either. I want to put that in. You aren't charging. Oh, for sure. I was, you weren't just I started charging. I started out charging more than I was charging at my last company. And yeah. people were still saying yes. Right. Because I had I'm, a professional I'm sales process. Yep. And I'm selling them the experience, the Ellison painting experience. Um, but also in retrospect and in line with some of the, what we're talking about here, uh, one big advantage I have is maybe my enormous ego. It's like, I, I really believe, I really believe that I can, that not I, we collectively can, can create the greatest painting company in America. Like I fully believe that Ellison painting could be the absolute best. Um, could be also the biggest, who knows, but I really believe that we can do that. Um, now I might be wrong, but even if I'm wrong and we end up the hundredth best, hundredth most professional painting company in America, guess what? We are doing pretty darn well. But the fact that I believe that we really can be the absolute best allow, allows me and equips me to take the risks and make the decisions that I make in hiring and spending and everything else that goes along with uh, pretty explosive growth. So some people don't have that self-confidence. Some people don't have that belief in themselves or their ability. Uh, find someone that does. Find someone that me like me that doesn't know anything about painting, um, but knows about business and is great at sales and bring them on board. Let's say uh, being a being a 50-50 partner in a $2 million a year company is way better than being the sole owner of a $250,000 a year company. If you like, if you want to have a big painting company, that is. Um, some people just want to run a $250,000 company and they thrive there and it's awesome and that's a big success. But if you really want to grow, 
have the self-awareness to know whether you are actually the person that's going to be able to do it. And I, as, as I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to have enough self-awareness that maybe I'm the guy that can get us to 3 million, but I'm not the guy that can get us to five or 6 million. I don't know yet, but I need to, I need to be aware of whether I am the guy or not. And I will say this is something my wife and I actually have talked about pretty extensively back when we were starting our entrepreneurial journey. I had a lot of doubts. I, I used to be entrepreneurs, successful business owners is kind of like a myth. Like, man, that mm-hmm. guy, that guy, that girl, they, they have something I don't have. Um, and I kind of came to the conclusion that I don't actually have to believe in myself. Uh, I just have to keep doing it. And so it, it's I think the belief in yourself basically means that you don't stop. I think that's really the, the key um, principle, though, is you don't stop no matter what. Even if you don't yeah. believe in yourself, just continue to march in the right direction, doubting yourself the whole time. And yeah. Eventually, it's going to work out. Yeah. When someone says, well, I'm, I'm scared of failing, say, OK, well, then don't stop. If you yeah. haven't, if, if you haven't stopped then you haven't failed, just keep going. Right. Only way you uh, fail is if you quit and you will not quit. Right. Or people that are afraid of starting over. Well then don't quit. You know, if you don't yeah. quit, you don't have to start over. Brad, do you have, we are about at our time. I appreciate your time, man. Uh, wrapping up an amazing podcast series with you. Do you have anything else you want to impart before we wrap this up? Uh, not in particular. I, I do want to stress like what, what we're doing at Ellison painting. I want to acknowledge is, is pretty rare and, um, and pretty special. I don't, I never wanted the series to be like, I don't want it to seem easy. And, um, I don't want to give people the impression that literally anyone can do this. doesn't, I'm not saying that I'm something special, but what Ellison painting is super special. And, um, I, I want it to be, I want it to be an encouragement. I want people to look at what I'm doing and inspire them. Um, maybe not to do exactly what I'm doing, but to make some changes to facilitate the growth that they might want within their business in some way. I, I just, I don't know. I feel weird. Do you, you see what I'm trying to say? Like, I feel weird. Like I'm, we're painting this picture of that. Anyone can just start a company from scratch and do what I did. And well, it's I simple, just, I, but it's not easy. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's it's simple. It's not easy, and a lot of people are not willing to take the risks um, and make the sacrifices that we make. Um, so certainly, I, I hope that someone does it bigger and better than me. Um, but the reality is, most people are not going to do this, and that's okay. Running a different version of a different company can still be should be uh, viewed as equally successful right? It's not all about explosive growth. It's not all about huge numbers. For me, that's what I'm aiming for. Um, But success is not purely defined by numbers and financial growth. And there's something Brad and I are both passionate about. Obviously, we're both big advocates for the PCA on several committees for the PCA. Mm -hmm. But this is a tried and true proven business model. You have access to, to Brad. You have access to all these heavy hitters who know what they're doing. So don't go it alone. I mean, that's where it's simple, but not easy. That, that's where exactly is. You can go get all the answers you need, but at the end of the day, you are still going to have to execute. Mm-hmm. So, you Brad, it, thank yeah. you for your time. If you have questions, uh, if you're not in the podcast group already, probably most of you are, you can always tag Brad with questions directly. Um, Brad's always, you know, he's a very big advocate for the, he won, let's see your, your plaque. You won the biggest recruiter, I think, for the, the PCA. What was the award exactly? The member recruitment of the year. I won that from won that at Expo. Won it at Expo. It was Nick Slavic, I think, the past like eight years. He's got an unfair advantage, man. He tours the country recruiting that's, people for PCA. I had to do a little more grassroots. 
Um, but no, I'm really proud of that. I am a huge believer, as you know, in the PCA. Um, the Without the PCA's influence on the people that I trust the most within our industry, Ellison Payne would not even be in existence. So um, the, the PCA is a worthwhile organization. You should absolutely become a member. You should absolutely be plugged in. There's tons of resources, whether you want to uh, want help training your painters, whether you need training uh, through the Business Accelerator Program, whether you want to get plugged in with other local painters. There's the gathering of local painters groups. Um, and of course, the annual expo is, you know, for my, in my opinion, like one of the best weeks of the year in the Ellison family. Love it. Well, Brad, thank you. Thank you for everyone who joined us. Super excited for this. The, the, the uh, recording, if you tuned in late, will be uh, live in the Facebook group and super excited, man. Super excited for the series. We'll have you on again. Uh, toward the end of the year and get a check-in on Ellison Painting. Right on, Brandon. Thanks, buddy. See you guys. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.